Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to Drafting the Circuits on the Hoobazoo Radio Network. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next 60 minutes as we discuss everything racing, and we had a big weekend of racing, but before we get into that, I want to introduce you to my panel for the evening. With me, as always, is Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. Gray, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Hope everyone else is. Oh, good Good to hear from you, Gray. Uh, Joey Barnes is with us from Motorsports Tribune and IndyCar.com. Joey, good to have you back on the show again. Likewise. Good to be back. All right. And, and joining us also is Josh Farmer, who also writes for Motorsports Tribune. Uh, Josh, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine and then some. All right. So, uh, like I said, we had a big weekend of racing. Um, you know, NASCAR is in its... Uh, um, round three 
Uh, IndyCar had their season opener down in St. Pete. Uh, there was some more Formula One testing news going on, but uh, let's uh, let's lead off with uh, St. Pete. Um, a lot of really good stories coming out of St. Pete, and um, you know the big news being Sebastian Bourdais in his first run was Dale Coyne racing this go around. Um, he drove for Dale Coyne previously in 2011. Um, kind of shocked the racing community by taking the win. I'm sure he was aided by a caution, uh, but once he was there at the front, he had a very fast car, had a good setup, perfect pit stops. Um, he passed the season uh, champion. He passed Pagano on track for the lead um, and motored off into the distance uh, and just made it his day. Uh, you know, uh, call that a Cinderella story, call that what you will. You'll you'll find that in IndyCar racing occasionally. You won't find that elsewhere, though. But um, interestingly enough, Joey. You and I spent uh, uh, the night, Sunday night, independently of one another, writing articles to publish Monday morning. And, uh, I mean, I, I read your article. I know you read mine. Both these articles can be found on Motorsports Tribune, uh, motorsportstribune.com, or, or check us on the Facebook page. Uh, you'll find those articles. And we came away with very similar thoughts, very similar opinions on the series um, and the series direction on Bourdais. Um, and where his career is right now, um, and on the race itself. And uh, Joe, I was reading through yours, and you made an interesting comment um, that IndyCar is the land of opportunity uh, in the racing world. So I just want to have you uh, elaborate on that a little more for our listeners. I mean, I know what you meant, and I, I thought um, your, uh, your, your thought was brilliant there, but I, I just want to hear it out of your mouth for our listeners, Joey. Well, you know, I come off the the race and I'm sitting there watching Borde win this thing and I'm seeing the emotion and it's awesome. It's one of the coolest scenes in motorsports. I mean, you could already label it a story of the year contender. But, you know, that's that's Sebastian Borde racing for a small team in Dale Coyne. You know, to run an IndyCar team, you're looking between 7 and $10 million roughly, depending on the team. Obviously, Penske per team might be up in the 10. Uh, for the smaller teams, you're looking at 7 and those aren't things that you can do on the NASCAR side. Those aren't things you could definitely not do on the Formula One side. I mean, Ferrari's putting hundreds of million, millions of dollars into their just two-car effort. And on the NASCAR side, I mean, we're talking about sponsorships that are worth up to $20 million north of that in some cases. And it's just it's unreal the amount of money that's going into those sports. And when you look at IndyCar... I think they've done a good job with parity, and you're looking at a situation where, I mean, let's be honest, and unless there's a big wreck at Talladega or, or some other track for that matter in NASCAR, a front row motorsports car is not going to go head to head against a Hendrick car and beat it on Sunday. That stuff just doesn't happen. Sometimes it gets fluky with the weather. Sometimes you get fun late race cautions that always enjoy uh, changing stuff up. But the reality is, we watched Sebastian Bourdais, a uh, four-time champ from over a decade ago, get a chance to kind of relive some of that glory days being reunited with his crew chief, Craig Tam- or engineer, I'm sorry, Craig Hampson, uh, whom they won the four titles with back in their champ car days in Newman Haas. And, yeah, they got a great caution as far as the timing of it because some of the people hadn't pitted, some of the drivers have, and they were part of the ones that didn't. But, you know, he lined up second behind the defending champ like you had uh, touched on earlier, and, you know, paced him, passed him, see you later, 10 seconds, 10 seconds ahead, goes on to win the thing. 
we felt like a win would be in the works sometime this year. I damn sure didn't expect it this quick, and I don't know if anybody on the panel did, but you know, talking about the land of opportunity, you're not going to have to put that kind of money into uh, what you put into an NASCAR program or an F1 program. You don't get to put that kind of money into an IndyCar program and, and hope that it's competitive. It's one of those scenarios where you can go in there on a nice budget. We all know that Dale Coyne isn't the richest owner in the world. He does this. Uh, you know, He's got some sunny barbecue uh, chains around, and he's your every average day guy who gets a chance to go run these, and he's privileged to it. He's been doing it for 30 years. And to get a chance to see this team come to the forefront, come to the fold, is a lot of fun to see. And let's be honest, Sebastian Bourdais, Sebastian Bourdais forgotten champion, probably doesn't get his respect and get his due because everybody looks at the champ career and tries to forget it. The reality is, is he just went up against undoubtedly the best team in Team Penske with Dale Coyne racing equipment and the new dominant, almost new Bourdais-ish, uh, oddly enough also French like Bourdais, uh, dominated last year and then goes up, passes him, and, you know, makes people remember who he is. So, you know, I made a, a fun little quib in there that, you know, nothing beats the original. And, um, you know, in IndyCar, we're blessed to have the original and the next generation, both of them going head-to-head. And I think that's really cool to see. I mean, it's like watching Jeff Gordon go up against Richard Petty in his prime. And it's something you're never going to get to see. Um, but to, to be able to have it here and to be able to do it at an affordable you know, not affordable to obviously everyday people, but affordable in the modern realm of how much motorsports really cost. I think that's really cool to see, and you don't get that anywhere else in IndyCar, or I'm sorry, in, in F1 or NASCAR. You only get it in IndyCar. Yeah, and I think you got to give Bourdais a lot of credit for, uh, you know, not letting his um, IndyCar career end when KB Racing closed the doors. I mean, Bourdais saw the writing on the wall. He signed the deal with Coin early, and, and Mr. Coin has been you know, really late to the table signing drivers looking for, you know, looking for a, a summer they can finance the team or, uh, you know, or, or just wait for the last minute and, and not spend a lot of money on preseason testing. But, uh, you know, Bourdais, seeing the writing on the wall at KV, you know, he realized he wasn't in line for a Penske or Ganassi ride, but he really wants to stay in this series. So he started discussions with Dale Coyne rather early, uh, you know, sweeten the deal with, um, you know, getting Hampson in there and uh, Olivier uh, Boyer who um, worked with him at KB Racing got them to hire them as engineers got this deal together um, you know he got himself a, a paid ride uh, you know it's costing Dale more money out of his pocket but I think uh, Sebastian really sold himself as this is the way to take um, the Dale Coin team team to that next level and you've got to give him credit for that because Wow, it paid off, uh, you know, on uh, round one for the series. So, um, and Bourdais has seen the disappointment before. He was booted out of uh, booted out of Formula One unceremoniously after a season and a half with Toro Rosso, and he's um, he spent a couple of journeyman years, and then um, you know he says this is not happening to me again, and and I just think he's made everything right. People question his logic. They said, why aren't you staying with Jimmy Vassar? I think, uh, you know, Bourdais knew before we knew Jimmy Vassar wasn't going to be around. So, Joey, you have a point? Yeah, I think for, for Dale, I mean, let's not forget some of the drivers that he's had. I mean, last year he had Connor Daly, who by a lot of standards is one of the next best up-and-coming Americans next to Joseph Newgarden uh, that's that's on the grid. And, you know, let lets him go to A.J. Foyt, and we're all kind of shaking our heads a little bit um, But during the offseason. But let's let's be honest here. This Bourdais is the best driver 
that and then he did drive for Dale Coyne shortly after his champ car days had expired. Um, so this is a reunited, reunited uh, partnership with Dale Coyne as well. But this is the best driver that Dale Coyne's had since the late Justin Wilson. And I think that when you're if you're Dale and you look at your program and you see the nature of IndyCar right now and you know that you, you've got a lot here to be proud of and you have a lot to be competitive with, there's there's a reason you cut that check. And there's a reason why you go after him because you've already had a driver of, of this caliber. I know Justin Wilson didn't have the the accolades, but he damn sure had the talent. And when you look at this, um, it makes a lot of sense for Dale to, to go after Sebastian. And you know what? This is kind of cool to see. I mean, let's be honest. This is something that you see in a movie. You get the band back together. It's 10 years later. You think they're forgotten. They're has-beens. They're hacks. You know, they're bums or scabs, whatever you want to call them, whatever you want to label them, and they come out and they kick your ass. I think it's flawless. It's perfect. It's the kind of story that you you hope to have for a Hollywood movie, and it just ended up being real life. So good on Dale uh, for, for making this deal happen. I know he's paying for it out of pocket a little bit, but clearly it's showing its worth. And and who knows, if they keep winning, maybe Dale will get some more money that's coming in that's not coming out of his pockets. You know, they've, we've seen a few more sponsors interested in IndyCar, and we've seen a lot of good positive mojo towards the IndyCar series so you know that's not out of the realm of possibility either now gray you've uh, you want to chime in yeah you know and, and like i said borday i mean he's 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 a hall of fame career he's a four-time champion he's what sitting on 30 some uh indycar wins is that correct mm-hmm. the, uh, yep and he, he just passed bobby unser on the all-time win list yeah. uh, on sunday so, i mean and you like you said like you like you like you put it he, he's he's the forgotten champion and uh, as much talent as anybody in the field. And I tell you, the thing I took away from, from, from the race on Sunday, even though, the, of course, it had the caution that flip-flop field, but, but that looking at, looking at it deeper than that, it speaks to, to me to the quality of the field from front to back because those cars are all – the parity, they're all so equal that, uh, you know, you someone gets to the front, can get to the front, can – can be quick. I mean, can be as quick. You know, you know what I'm saying. It's it's the field is the field is so tightly bunched that we, we see this a lot in some of the NASCAR races when they go to something where the, where there's not a lot of lot of difference between the front and the back half of the field, and the cars seem like they run in station. You know, all all through the race because they're so equal. And that's one of the things I took away from from this race this weekend was was just the, to me the the quality of the field. Uh, you know the, the the cautions and the way they where they flew kind of had things strung out, but but when you look look at it, other than the the front uh, bunch that got away on the caution, the rest of the field was tightly packed together. I mean, with within you know several you know each pack was within several seconds of one another. So uh, it, it did create for some interesting racing. Yeah, I mean, when you really look at this, to, to put, I'm, I'm going to touch on a little bit of that that land of opportunity deal, and what this win signifies, um, just to kind of make that extra little point. But uh, you're looking at 17 races in IndyCar, and it's been roughly two and a half years since Dale Coyne had won, and that's you know what 30 something races ago, 30 30 some odd, 40 some odd maybe. Uh, when you really look at this compared to NASCAR, Richard Childress Racing is a is a top flight organization. Uh, they've got seven championships with Dale Earnhardt. 
um, you know, six championships, I'm sorry, with Dale Earnhardt. And, um, you know, several wins. They haven't really been the same since Harvick left, but they've been solid. And they look like they're knocking on the door with Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman and, and guys like that. But it's still been over 200 starts. Well, since actually, collective starts, it's been a hundred and uh, roughly between 112 and 115 112 races. or 100. 115. Yeah, 112, 115 races since Goodness. since uh, Childress won again. The last time they won was Harvick in uh, in uh, the end of uh, I think it was 2013. Won the next to last race at Phoenix. Uh, that's the last time uh, last time RCR car has been in a Cup. Uh, say, Fo- Lane. say Fox Sports needs to change their stats up a little bit because that's where I got that number. But um, you know. That's still that's several that's that's, that's a, a long time ago. That's a drought. That's a and, that's a pretty pretty big drought. And you know, um, a drought just got broken recently with Kyle Larson last year because uh, Chip Ganassi was going through a drought of their own. And the thing is, is that in a world with with Toyota dominating, uh, you know, with with Joe Gibbs out there, you know, Stuart Haas was 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 Chevy for a long time and partnered with Hendrick. Hendrick being dominant, it's really tough for after you get these three or four teams up in cup, it's really tough for another one to kind of break in and string anything together because of where the money flows. In IndyCar, the money flows pretty even. Uh, It's not exact, but it's close. And, you know, I think that's an important thing to to make. Uh, But the other end of this, how about Honda this past weekend? I mean, we came mm-hmm. in here, there's an arrow freeze, and we're all wondering, okay, they so Hondas look good on blacks in practice. They look good on blacks last year. Big deal. Then we get reds on, and the times are pretty close, and we're like, hmm. Then we get into qualifying and see how it shakes out, and we got Will Power on pole again. Uh, this time he's able to run the race, unlike last year at St. Pete. And, you know, we're thinking, okay, well, maybe this – Penske's at front. Maybe we're in trouble. Maybe this is another runaway. It was anything but, um, you know, the Honda let it be known right from the get-go. And I, I want to make a point to mention a couple of drivers here. I mean, obviously, Bourdais um, was up there, and he won the race, and Pagino got second, and he was in a Chevy. But when you really get a chance to look at it, there was a number of Hondas stretched across the top ten. And, you know, shout-out to Takuma Sato, who, if not for a pit road mistake, his first debut with Andretti's a podium. He ends up finishing mm-hmm. fifth. Loses at the line to, to his teammate Ryan Hunter Ray, who had a miserable weekend um, up until that race. Um, and you know when you when you get a chance to really look at this, uh, Marco Andretti was finishing in the top ten. He held off Joseph Newgarden there at the end, and, and James Hinchcliffe was the guy who was leading before that caution flew, and, and he led some eighteen laps, and he looked like he was going to run away with it in a Honda, and looked like he was ready to take that next step. And then the ill-timed caution, but you know. It caught Takuma off guard, but Takuma could race back up there. And I think there's something to be said for what Andretti's been able to put together there in the offseason with their engineering staff and bolster that up on a street course where they absolutely sucked last year. Uh, now you go into Long Beach and you're kind of optimistic. You know, Takuma's a former winner. We've seen Ryan perform really well there. And, you know, so collectively when you get a chance to see this, you're thinking, hmm, maybe maybe there's something to this Honda program. And it, it really does look like Honda has has – trim the gap up to Chevrolet, and I think we're in for a good fight this year. I don't think there's going to be no two wins for Honda the whole year. I think we're looking at a good, even battle. Right, and we already know that, uh, you know, Honda's super speedway program is is pretty darn spot on as well. 
Um, but I just think that the tweaks they've done with the engine have really paid off uh, massive dividends. Um, and, you know, having Chip Ganassi in the fold, um, Honda also leads in numbers with 13 cars uh, to Chevrolet's eight, um, which, you know, which, you know, have that as you will if you have all eight cars up front, whatever. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. But, um, yeah, Honda has just been darn impressive. Uh, I, I would have thought that with the Aerofreeze, Honda is going to just throw away a year and, and wait for the common kit, knowing they have the better engine. But, uh, you know, what, what the the gains they have made, yeah, I think the Chevrolet, Chevrolet guys better watch out. You know, Honda is at, at least equal, but I think in some ways they're superior to Chevrolet. And uh, Josh, Mr. Farmer, you've been awful quiet. I want to bring you into this conversation. What, what, what say you, Mr. Farmer? Yeah, what's what say I? Well, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the Aerofreeze, you know, while while the Honda kit in the last few years has been has been statistically, it hasn't been what they what they needed to be. But at the same time, with the Aerofreeze. Honda couldn't really further any development, but Chevrolet wasn't allowed to, to get ahead. And another and another point that I kind of want to make is that is that they have a strong lead team now because before you know you might say oh Andretti was the was the top Honda team. I mean they I mean Andretti got taken to the cleaners by Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan for, for for the last couple of years with a single car outfit. Where now and you know plus Andretti Autosport you know when you look at when you when you look at how a lot of their drivers have struggled, not just because of the Honda, but they've just struggled in general, and there's really nobody to really interject some positivity into the team. Where it's like with Ganassi, you've got Scott Dixon, who's 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 a who's a proven winner. You've got Kanan, who's pretty good. Then you've got you know Charlie Kimball and Max Chilton to kind of bring up the rear. But but also another another you know kind of piggybacking off of what Joey and Frank have said is that Chevrolet and Honda have also both sign multi-year contract extensions with IndyCar as well as the tire partner Firestone and Delara. And, you know, that, I mean, I know, I know, you know, this is a huge 180 from last year when Honda was, Honda was a little, a little iffy, but now, you know, now, now that we've got some continuity and there's even rumors about a third engine manufacturer. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to, you know, you know, I mean, I think things are, things are way up on, on, on the IndyCar side. And I think the, the person that we got to thank for all of this is Jay Fry. I mean, Jay Jay Fry seems to he understands the business side of things. He, he you know he's been there as a team owner, and you know and and he's and he's also you know with his connections with ISC, whether it be connections or just understanding how the how their how their business model works, we're seeing return 
we're seeing a lot more a lot, a lot more IndyCar returning to a lot more ISC tracks. We could get Auto Club, I'd be happy. But you know, things are looking good for IndyCar, and, and I'm I'm very pleased to say that because I I honestly couldn't have said that two years ago. I think one of the things when I look at this, and if there if there's there's one thing that really makes me sad, and it's St. Pete just happened, and we've got to wait three weeks until we get a chance to see these cars unload at Long Beach. And uh, you know, along those lines, though, you know, there's a test and barber somewhere in between. But I think something that might be forgotten with St. Pete is how strong also not just IndyCar was, but also the Mazda Road to Indy. Uh, you know, when you really get a chance to look at this. I've, I've been saying it for a long time now. From an economic standpoint, Road to Indy is really setting the template for what every form of motorsports should be doing because it's just built up with with sponsors being a little bit more involved. Uh, you know, you're looking at teams. Everything is taken into account, and everybody is accountable. I can't say the same in other forms of, of motorsports because we're looking at things and we're wondering. You know, are, are certain undercard tours? even cut out for things anymore they even worth watching but when you look at the road to indy they may not have the audience but you know everything starts a little bit slow but you know i love what tony Cotman, race director over there has been doing uh, his involvement with indy lights and i think this weekend was a good show when you get a chance to really look back at the tail of the tape i mean in usf 2000 we had a three-way fight to kick off the season in all single-seater open wheels in north america i mean robert mcginnis 16 years old uh, I'm sorry, just turned 17, uh, holding off Oliver Askew and Rhinus VK, who were closing up pretty strongly there. And, um, you know, Oliver Askew rebounds to win the second race, which was phenomenal. I mean, he's the Mazda Road to Shootout winner. He's a guy who, who represented America and England at the Walter Hayes Trophy Memorial and at Silverstone Circuit. And, uh, you know, the kid's a real deal. Robert McGinnis is awesome. I mean, these kids are extremely talented. Uh, Rhinus VK in that opening race, these are spec cars. And he goes from 14th to third. It's unreal to do that in a spec car. So, uh, you know, on the Pro Mazda side, Anthony Martin wins both races, but he's got Victor Franzoni, newly signed with Juncos, breathing down his neck for both races. And then, you know, in, in Indy Lights, the ultimate undercard tour, where if you win the championship, you get that million-dollar Mazda scholarship award that will give you three races in the Verizon IndyCar series, including a running in next year's 102nd now. Indianapolis 500. Um, you know, we had a couple of really good shows, and when you get a chance to look at it, Aaron Tielitz goes from pole um, and, and goes out and wins the thing from pole, and uh, that was that was a hell of an effort. And when you get a, a good chance to look at the second race, we got a chance to see a second generation driver in, in Colton Herta, the son of Brian Herta, four time IndyCar winner, um, also the the race strategist that brought Alex Rossi home for the hundredth Indy 500. His son comes back from two years in Europe and, and laxes the field in the, in the second race and overcomes onslaught after onslaught of restarts. So it's really cool to see this development of talent. And I know I'm running on a little bit, but it's really, really cool to see the development of talent, the infrastructure that's being built there. And I couldn't be more proud to, to watch this, not only as, as a media member, but also from a fan perspective. It's just a lot of fun to see how everything's coming together within these t- tough economic times. Yeah, I mean, that is one fantastic ladder series, and we've talked about it. Uh, yeah, we talk about it every week, and it's great to see those guys back on the track as well. You know, I want to dig into this uh, thing about the uh, the race-changing cautions in IndyCar, okay? Uh, there was an article on IndyCar's website um, published. Joey, I know you didn't write it. Um, 
And now, I, Joey, I don't write for IndyCar, so I can say that Jeff Papone is an idiot. Um, <laughs> but but at the same time, there's a little there's a little valid, validity to um, what is uh, being said out here, and that is, I think that the race changing cautions sometimes alienate new viewers who don't understand road racing and how it works, and they're just befuddled as how their driver, James Hinchcliffe, who everybody knows now from Dancing with the Stars, is winning the race, and the next thing you know, he's buried deep in the field uh, because of the caution. Now, years ago, uh, when I would watch uh, kart races, you know, every Sunday, um, pitting under the yellow after your competitor, competitors had pitted under green was an advantage because the pits were open. You'd peel into the pits, uh, make your stop, get out there uh, while the rest of the field are slowed down. This day and age, we close the pits, um, bunch the field, and then we allow folks to make pit stops. So uh, there's, And you really you want that because you want the, the, the pit lane free of pit activity while any you know, rescue vehicles and or tow vehicles are dispatched. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. There's not no real good answer to it. Uh, you know, I, I hate the virtual safety car in um, Formula One. Um, you know, I really don't like the thought of, of trying to, to keep the gap there. Um, Papone's idea was ridiculous with uh, maximum speed. So, uh, I, I, I mean, is there any way to eliminate race-changing cautions? Or is it just a part of racing that we need to make sure that uh, you're ahead of the strategy? I mean, because a smart racer is going to – a smart team is going to pit at the very beginning of the window knowing that if they don't, that could happen. Any thoughts on that? Anybody on the panel? You can't, you can't, um, you can sit and look at all the models and everybody, uh, you know, does their analysis before race and, you know, they look at the trends that have been set in previous races when, you know, when the cautions may fly. That, you know, that's all fine and good. You can look at that stuff and, 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 and try to be analytical about it. But you never know when a caution is going to fly. And that's, that doesn't matter if it's any car racing or, or sports car racing, or, or 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 in NASCAR, that's part of the game, and and you play your strategy like you go into the race planning your strategy, and you're gonna pit, and you're gonna run, you know, road racing. You typically run the race backwards to get in your fuel windows and, and things like that, but you never know when those cautions are gonna fly. I think it's a I think it's a part of racing that needs to you know needs to be left alone. It, you know. Sometimes it's going to happen. Sometimes it's not, and it makes it interesting in, in all forms. And that's one of the things that brings these. You know, without that, we may not be talking about the story of the race. You know, we uh, that, that we did. So yeah, I, I think it's for a novice fan. Yeah, it is difficult to understand. But for your 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 true fan that follows the sport uh, in, in NASCAR, IndyCar, they understand it. They know how it goes. Uh, it, it's it's sometimes it can be disappointing. It can shake up the race, but that's just part of it. Yeah, I mean, when I look at this, I don't know. I mean, my own opinion personally is we were all novice fans at one point. We all had to learn what the rules were. We all had to follow accordingly. And I think the one thing that IndyCar does well that other series might not do so well is changing things up every flip of the page instead of just letting things be what they are and leaving it you know things are better left alone so when i'm looking at it uh i didn't really have a problem i don't have a problem with the current structure i don't 
I don't disagree with it as far as what we saw on Sunday. I, I think that there's a number of reasons why this makes sense. You had mentioned dispatched vehicles that might be out there. I, I like the idea of, of pitting everybody together because, you know what, what if that driver is seriously injured out there? Um, should there be an accident? And we have all the cars on pit road. Well, if it's serious enough, we can throw the red flag, but trust that all the cars are already on pit road and that they're not dispatched out on the track doing 140 trying to play catch up to the field, in which case maybe there's a radio miscommunication error. Maybe there's also a radio outage and they don't receive word that there's a driver upside down on track or some other uh, scary situation. And then you run into a situation or a problem that's even 10 times more magnified if those two make contact. So I like the idea of leaving the field the way it was. I like the idea of bringing everybody down together. And, you know, like Grace said, you do typically run the race backwards at strategy. Everybody has their own agenda. And we've had to learn a lot of different things over the years. And I think this is a more of a safety thing of letting these guys fit together when I really look at it. If it, if it changes up the strategy, so what? That's racing. Um, it's better to focus on the strategy part of it than have to victimize uh, somebody out there on track and in a safety way. So, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to actually read uh, Jeff's article on IndyCar.com. Oh, don't bother. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm just saying. I, but, hope, I hope Jeff doesn't listen to our show because <laughs> I'll hear from him tomorrow. But, you know, but no. Yeah. I mean, hey, I, you know, he he would have a good reason to probably explain explain you know why he wrote it and what his reasoning might be. And I would be I would be curious to hear what those reasons are personally. But um. Yeah, I, I like the product the way it is. You know, I like the fact that we don't have to try to calm the race down by stages in, in the IndyCar side, um, which, as we found out on Sunday, didn't make a lick of difference because uh, a certain driver just continued to dominate regardless. So um, it, it's like watching baseball when you're watching the stages now because you get to get a chance to get up, go get a hot dog, go to the bathroom, whatever, do your business. Um, or in some cases, just not tune in until the final stage. So, um I like the way IndyCar is. I like the product. I like the model. Uh, there was a New York Times article that came out over the weekend that talked about how they're not spinning their wheels. They've got some traction. And I tell you what, uh, hit on a lot of valid points. And um, I, I can't think of the writer's name that wrote that, but props to them because, you know, it's it's good to see the sport. Motorsports in general is down across the board, whether that be for economics or a lack of interest or anything else. And I think it's important to realize that if NASCAR suffering, so is F1 and so is IndyCar, whether that be because we have media now that that goes through digitally and, and you can see things better there than if you're at the track and, you know, you don't get the same experience. Now they're talking about making cars quieter, you know, all this weird hoopla stuff. But case in point being, IndyCar is not spinning their wheels. And whether they want to admit it or not, that's a plus for NASCAR, just like, you know, certain things that happened on Sunday – that that got some people riled up that we'll talk about later um, or here in a few minutes. Um, that also helps IndyCar because guess what? IndyCar's got some close racing. You don't see those guys stretched out getting, you know, five, ten laps down. Those guys are all on top of each other. Um, so to see to see what we have in motorsports, it's important to note that the entire motorsports world is, is getting better and it looks like it's headed in the right direction. And right now, maybe none more so than IndyCar, but in general as a whole, it's it's headed in the right direction. Yeah, and, and the last thing you want a race to be is predictable. Uh, you know, so and I think that's you just got to let it go. You drop the you drop the green flag and you drop the checkered flag, and everything that happens 
you know, in between is just part of the race. And some, some, some days it's going to go, uh, you know, it's going to go, go smoothly. And you're not going to have any issues. And the, you know, the cautions are going to fly when they, you know, at the right time for everybody. Yeah. And you, you know, other days it's not. So, yeah, I do think, you know, and, and, and this was discussed on IndyCar radio, uh, some drivers like always are going to debate whether the caution should have been, uh, uh, should have been flown or not. But, you know, the guys on the IndyCar radio side, all to a, to a, to a man agreed that yes, this caution need to fly. There was debris on the track that needed to be need. They needed to get up. Could have created an unsafe situation. So I believe it was uh, to me, it was a legitimate caution. You know, we talk about NASCAR from time to time with their, uh, with their phantom cautions and things like that. You know, it's been a, been something we've talked about over the years, but uh, I think, you know, in this case, there was no phantom caution. There was, there was a legitimate need to throw it and. And it just happened that way, you know. Uh, another another couple of cautions during that race could have changed the whole complexion of that race again and flipped the field again, you know, had it had it come about. But uh, but it didn't happen, and that's the way it, it came off. I, th- I think you made a great point about predictability. I mean, when you look at F1, everybody everybody that I that I know, they love F1. I mean, everybody I know is racing people, but they love F1. But when you talk about the years that they remember the most, um, in some ways it's the years that they didn't watch because Schumacher was dominating for a long time, and when that came to pass, maybe we had a couple of years where you know you had Hamilton and Raikkonen, and it was real close, and Massa losing by a point in 2008. And, but then what do you get? You get Sebastian Vettel just, just raking off wins, and one year winning 13 out of like 16 or 17 races. Un, 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 it was just absolutely nuts. And what we have now is um, an era where maybe things are a little bit more predictable. I mean, yeah, Mercedes is doing what they're doing, but we're about to change the game in F1 this year uh, with the way everything's looking and testing. And in NASCAR, you can't put your thumb on an exact guy. Um, Truex was an underdog for his entire career. Gets with the right crew chief, gets with the right team and the right program. And right now, they've been the winningest team at driver combination uh, over the last six or seven months. And I think that's important to note. Um, in an F, obviously, in IndyCar, Pagano can be dominant, but at the same time, because he's with the superior team. But as we saw on Sunday, um, it, IndyCar is anything but predictable. So, you know, point to Greg on that. Um, it's, this is going to be a fun racing year if, if the start of this season's been any indication. Yeah, I think it, to me, that's that the interest to me, and when I sit down and watch an IndyCar race is. Honestly, you 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 don't know who's going to win in a lot in a lot of instances. You know, you sure sure you can look at qualifying and look where the Penske cars were or where the Ganassi cars were or the Andretti cars, but I mean, it, it, you you sometimes you can throw them all in a bag and shake them up and and whatever and it's, something's going to come out. But I want to ask you a question: What was the uh, what was the trouble with uh, Will Powers' uh, car? What did they ever determine uh, was his problem? Um, to be honest with you, I don't have the slightest clue. I kept thinking it was a fuel issue because I know that's what TV had alluded to. Um, yeah, that's, I knew it was electrical or what. But you know, yeah, I mean, if it's a fuel issue and they had some issue as far as uh, timing of when they were coming down pit road, uh, let's remember that he's dealing with a brand new strategist. Tim Sindrick left that team to go over to Joseph Newgarden's team at Penske, still with a new organization, just different team, and. Um, 
you know, he's had a booze log, I think is his name as a strategist. So if they were, if they were a victim to, to the fuel gamble or anything of that sort, because I know towards the end of that Pagano at the final run was two laps short and he had to scale back some to make sure he could make it to the end. Um, if that's the case, uh, there's going to be, I couldn't imagine what the office of Penske was yesterday, but, uh, or on Monday, I forgot we're taping this. My bad y'all. Um, but you know, it's, um, it, it's interesting to see how that's going to play out throughout the year, because I think that will can prove, prove that he's fast for one lap, but can that team, you know, Will's a hell of a driver and he's proven it time and time again. And I think they said something where he had 45 career polls after this one in St. Pete. And I was kind of baffled. And I remember I'd mentioned that with Josh. It's just, um, yeah, I was like, is it really been 45 polls? A, has he been around that long? And B, Every time I remember, he's coming from the back. And then I remember it's usually because something happens on pit road, like running over his air hose like he did on Sunday. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what what the issue was on Sunday at the end of the race because the the television broadcast thing would have you believe that he just backed it off too far to save fuel and ended up getting black flagged. I mean, with that being the case, they, he wouldn't have parked him. He'd have just uh, kicked it back up. So uh, uh, there was I, – I read one article where they mentioned a mechanical issue, um, but, again, didn't explain yeah, what he, it is. So it's really strange. He on the track, and he was being passed by, by a lot of cars. Yeah, that, that was more than just backing off to save fuel. So I don't know if uh, he had some engine gremlins or whatnot that they just don't want to speak about publicly, but uh, or if uh, whatever's going on with Will just got lost in the shuffle with it. Let's talk about Bourdais, hey. uh, you know, but uh, but – Power had a miserable day, and I picked Power in all the, the different uh, racing pools and uh, fantasy leagues I'm in, and so I'm, I'm starting from the back too. <laughs> well, you know, one of the one of the things I wanted to mention before we move over to NASCAR is um, the brake issues that were plaguing a lot of the drivers early in the weekend. I mean, we got to remember this was the first go that they had with performance friction as the brake pads, and a lot of them were still using Brembo rotors. Um, you know, Brembo put out a statement later saying that they didn't have any involvement um, in, in the process with IndyCar about going over brakes or cooling or anything like that. And, I mean, we saw Bordet hit the wall in qualifying. That's why he started last. And we saw Takuma Sato have his issues. We saw Ryan hunter Ray in morning warm-up before the race have his issues. And come to find out, uh, I talked to Takuma Sato, um, who is going to be on Motorsports Tribune officially as the driver columnist uh, for the entire 2017 season. So, Are you serious? Uh, yep, yep. I love Takuma And um, so his, his first one should be tomorrow, uh, as, as I understand it. So we're, in this case today, when y'all are all listening to it. So motorsportstribune.com, get a chance to check that one out. And, and um, But I, I talked to Takuma a little bit, and he doesn't anticipate those issues happening again at Long Beach, which is also a street course. Um, and a lot of that reason being is because before the race started, IndyCar actually let the teams open up a little bit more of the cooling for the brakes. And so that, that really helped out a lot of things there. And that's why during the race, we didn't really hear about any brake issues. Um, so props to IndyCar on that one. Um, and, and I'm excited to get to Long Beach. I'm excited to get to Long Beach, too. But I think the the, the, the big interesting thing about the brake issue was the one with Spencer Piggott where the whole brake disc exploded 
Thankfully, yeah, okay, there was one. Okay, he was it, the one exception. <laughs> thankfully, it happened while he was entering the pits. Can you imagine if that had happened while he was uh, breaking at the end of a straightaway? Well, I have never that, seen anything like that in my yeah, life. Yeah, that that happened on, like, and there you go, just like we were talking about. Had that happened on the track, you know, with, with pieces of rotor everywhere, that would have necessitated another caution to clean that up. So, I mean, there you go, you know. That's unpredictability. The car he had already pulled down and, and to to come into pits, and probably what you know he had he had some clamping pressure on that rotor slowing down to get to the pits, and that's when when it led when it exploded. So uh, you know that that's gonna that's gonna be tough. I I, I don't I think this well, you know anytime you go to something new, everybody's got to learn it. Uh, Long Beach with its longer straights uh, out there, a little bit faster speeds. Uh, you know, they may encounter some different issues and, and may may want to keep a little more heat in the in the brakes because if they cool too much on the long straightaways, you know, that opens a different can of worms. So it'll be something that the teams will will eventually evolve into and, and, and work it out. You know, this is early, you know, first race with this new package. You know, obviously you're going to have some problems. And, um, you know, right because I know we're about to get to NASCAR. How, how did everybody's picks do this week uh, on the IndyCar side? I mean, I know how I did on the NASCAR side, and I'm not going to brag on that one. But, you know, how, how about that? How about those IndyCar picks? Well, well I've, I already, I've, already, I've already mentioned that I picked willpower, and we saw that worked out. I had, I had Pagano. I got a second. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had Elio, so I got burned. And then and then the Hardy picked Graham Ray Hall, and that's why I picked Sebastian Bourdais. So, uh you know, last you to go. first, you know, there you go. Uh, just saying, there they got go. the band back together. And <clears throat> uh, got this one kind of figured out, y'all. <laughs> well, you are the man. You've got 16 more to pick right before we crown you. But uh, but anyway, no like you said, let, let's move on to NASCAR because we were at uh, out west in Las Vegas. Uh, I do want to mention that we had a, uh, a team of DTC uh, drafting the circus photographers out there. Um, Vito C and Waylon Oaks were out there on site uh, on DDC credentials. And if you go to the Drafting the Circuits uh, page on Facebook, you'll see uh, Waylon's fine photography uh, in an album there. Uh, he loaded up about 150 pictures, I believe, from the Vegas weekend. So, you know, hop on Facebook, check us out, have a look at that. But um, let's talk about the race. Again, we talked about Martin Truex um, winning all three stages. Uh, for the first time, uh, driver has won all three stages of the new era of stage racing. Um, although uh, that last stage, Keselowski looked like he was headed for a certain win before a, a bit of a mechanical issue. Uh, something on gray, did you say, was the, the left rear? The right front. The right front, they okay, said, yeah. But they never, never you know, gave me any specifics, but that's what right, they right. had. Dropped him back, had a, on the right front. Yeah. Had a little, a little bit of a... Little, little bit of uh, contact on the track there, and then a um, then some fireworks in pit lane. So, Gray, I'm going to throw this to you and let you uh, let you cover this one. Well, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting race. Um, uh, you know, uh, we had, of course, it was the first uh, mile and a half, well, second mile and a half that we got, had gone to with the new uh, with the new stage uh, system and with the new aero rules with the short rear spoiler. Um, I thought it. I thought it was a compelling race. I I enjoyed watching it. I thought you know the uh, the stages did create some uh, some good close racing. It just so happened that uh, 
there was cautions that flew uh, just before each stage ended. It seemed as though in the first and second stages that kind of that kind of bunched the feel up and uh, allowed the guys to race uh, race for the stage win. Uh, I thought that that in in itself created some excitement. And I thought it was a pretty good race. It was your typical uh, mile and a half race when the cars do get spread out a little bit. But the field seemed to be pretty close. Even though uh, once Truex got to the front, he never really was able to really cleanly drive away. He could get out to maybe a two and a half, maybe three second lead. And you saw that kind of, you know, it, it would kind of expand and, and, and close up depending on who was, who was coming up behind him and as the tires wore out. But, uh, you know that it went through that went through those series of uh, of uh, stage stage racing, and then toward the end uh, there, it had had another caution near the near the end, and uh, Keselowski uh, showed his uh, showed his strength. He he qualified on the pole and had run clearly in the top five most of the day, top ten at least, and then late in the race he he emerged and uh, and took the lead, and with about two laps to go, he encountered a mechanical problem. And, and Keselowski, I mean, uh, Truex was able to get back around him again and, and, t- and take the win. But in that problem that Keselowski had, as he was going down the backstretch, uh, the two cars that were racing uh, racing for position be- behind the leaders, uh, Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, came up on him. And uh, Kyle Busch had to take evasive action to move around Keselowski. And when he did, he turned 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 down the track and and ran into the side of Joey Logano's car just before they entered turn three. Uh, Logano, last lap, they're coming they're coming to the checkered flag. Logano kept his foot in it, and uh, and this is just my opinion, the way it looked to me as they raced through uh, through three and four. Logano got terribly loose. You can see the car wiggle a lot before the before the, there's ever any contact, and he had to chase his race car up the track. And that's when he made contact with Kyle. I don't think it was anything deliberate. I think, you know, on the last lap, you're, you're, you know, you're going to keep your foot in it. You're going to race back to the flag stand. And, and that's what Joey was doing. Kyle was running on the outside, you know, with, in the same posture. And the two cars uh, collided. And uh, Kyle got the, uh, the worst uh, end of that. And, of course, that led to the, to the skirmish on, uh, on Pitt Road after, after the race. But again, I believe if uh, if Kyle had have uh, waited and looked at the looked at the replay of it of, of the entire last lap, I believe he'd have had a different take on it and might uh, you know. But like you said, when those guys ra- race like that, emotions are very high right after the race, and and that's what took over in uh, in in the in the thing with Kyle. And uh, of course, I imagine Kyle, you know, not long after that, is probably wishing he did. He would have done things a little bit different, but there again, it added to some some excitement to the race. Uh, I imagine uh, the ticket uh, windows at uh, or the phone uh, phones in the ticket offices at at Phoenix and Fontana and Martinsville for the next three races uh, got a little busy uh, on account of that, which is good. I mean, I'm not going to take it away from it. I think that's one reason that NASCAR probably took the stance that they took. Uh, by not uh, uh, going to issue any uh, any for any fines or uh, any discipline to, to the parties involved, and they're just going to let it go. And uh, uh, we'll, they'll probably talk to the drivers before they uh, 
before they hit the track at Phoenix, and then we'll uh, we'll just go on and see what happens from there. Yeah, I'll be, you- I'll be honest. I was surprised because to me it just looked like a racing incident, a racing deal. Um, you know, tough luck for the guys. But I was really surprised because I had thought we had seen the last of that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, of that Kyle Busch, you know, that, that would come and do that. Really, it seemed out of character from what we've seen out of him the last, you know, two, two and a half seasons. So, uh, like you said, I'm sure Kyle is is probably kicking himself um, for 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 letting the emotions get the best of him. But at the same time, man, it could, uh, you know, it, it took what was an otherwise kind of a subtle, you know, boring race, and um, headlines are still coming in today. Well, I mean, can, can you really say that this is like old Kyle Busch? Because Kyle Busch that I remember watching would hit you – with his car and then take off running. Like, uh, I refer to Kevin Harvick coming up to the window net looking for a fight and, uh, Kyle running off. And there's been a few moments where incidents like that happen. And Kyle doesn't the type to, to confront you unless he's got his car with him. So to see this, I mean, and let's not forget, this is like the fourth or fifth run in for Logano over the past few seasons. I mean, you're looking at Kenseth and now, and now Kyle and, you know, it's um, and let's not forget Auto Club with Denny Hamlin. It seems like if you're a Roush driver, I mean Daniel Suarez should probably look out. But um, you know, or, or not a Roush driver. I'm sorry. If you're a Gibbs driver, um, it's coming to coming to look for you. So it it's funny because they were both cutting up before the race uh, pre race show. I remember sitting there seeing them uh, up there on on pre race ceremonies introductions, and they were laughing and cutting up together and. Yeah, it was a little bit of a racing deal, and, and Joey barreled it down into the corner and, and was trying to hold on to it. It looked like he lost the nose, and it just washed up the track. And, um, you know, like what, what Gray alluded to, it just got loose. But um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of opinions vary. Um, I, I remember reading some articles today, and, you know, they thought that Kyle should be suspended and – you know, I remember Steve O'Donnell was at Texas yesterday and had to address the issue um, the, during the track unveiling, um, and I was in on that, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. But, um, you know, and seeing seeing how Steve and, and, and Brian have had to address this issue, the fact of the matter is is that this isn't the good old boys have at it racing that everybody wants it to be from yesteryear. This has turned into and has been for a long time an entertainment business. And you know what? You got a new title sponsor. Sponsors typically run the show because they're the ones cutting the check. If Monster Energy wants to see some fisticuffs, um, don't expect any repercussions. Um, you know, I've seen some really heinous things uh, in articles today, so much so that I'm not even going to address them, and they don't deserve that kind of publicity. But um, I think that when you really look at this, is it right to find find somebody for this? Yeah, maybe. Um, but is it right to suspend them? No. Yeah. These things are going to happen. Um, nine times out of ten, you're going to call somebody between the holler. You know, I'm, I'm seeing things. Well, this doesn't happen in, in football or, or basketball or anywhere else. Well, the fact of the matter is, you get to take your aggression out uh, how you want to on the football field. I've been there and done that and played until uh, I was 24. And if you got a problem with somebody, you're going to hit them a little extra harder That's next right. time. You're going to lay a little extra wood on there and. You know, when you look at, at racing, you're not going to do that with your race car and intentionally throw somebody in the wall like that countless yeah. times after countless times. I know it happens from time to time. You're protected, quote unquote, with a car because of the safety innovations made by NASCAR. You don't really get a chance to get out of your car and do things. And the fact of the matter is, 
is that there are engineers, there are mechanics, there are shop techs, there are, there are fabricators who put countless hours into one of those machines to put it out there on the racetrack. And the last thing you want to do is be the guy that screws it up. So I'm okay with somebody coming out there and handling it with his fist. And instead of having it to where he goes out there and does what Kyle Busch used to do, which is damage a crap ton of equipment. And, um, you know, he's got to look his, his fabricators in the eye on Monday and sorry guys, I just lost my temper. This is a better way to handle it. And, you know, Know, could it get out of hand? Absolutely, but that's why you got NASCAR officials there. That's why you got crew members there. You have your team to rely on you to make sure that those incidents don't get more out of hand than they do. So, you know, I don't have a problem with it. If it leads to more things, then we address it then. But for the moment, it is what it needs to be. Yeah, if it leads yeah. to, to right, now, retaliation, now, uh, yeah. I want to bring Josh into this conversation. Josh has been sitting in the wings here, uh, waiting to make a point here. So, Josh, go ahead. What, what you got, my man? Yeah, well, I agree with you, Joey. That I think you draw the line of, of if they want to handle if they want to handle it, fist the cuffs on pit road, or to, to take a quote from, from from Fred Thompson on Days of Thunder. If you want to turn your to, to if you want to turn yourself into a greasy spot on a on a country road somewhere, go right ahead. But I don't uh, I don't care. I don't think anyone else does. But but when you but when you tear up equipment like that, like like you said, when Kyle Busch dumped Ron dumped Ron Hornaday. At, at Texas, and then he got suspended, and that that pissed off his sponsor. Which I I think I read something that M and M's wasn't really too happy with Kyle Bush's yeah, actions. Yeah, M and M's put a statement out. Yeah, they didn't say that they were going to dump him or anything, but yeah, they they were not happy. I mean, this yeah. is a this is this is what Gibbs does, though, isn't it? I mean, Tony Stewart was on probation. Uh, Tony Stewart was on probation at Joe Gibbs Race. Depot sponsor probation. So uh, maybe it's the way Gibbs handles it. Former football coach let it is okay if those guys roughing it up. I mean, we don't see a lot of guys over at, at Hendrick handling it that way, unless Brad Keselowski cuts down your tire on a restart and you're Jeff Gordon. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't have a problem with this. If sponsors are going to leave, I mean, that's a that's a M and M's brand. That's a candy brand. It's associated a lot with kids. So I understand that image from a sponsor point of view. But um, you know, you got. You got some sponsors and that that are involved in the sport. They need to understand what they're investing in. Yeah, you get you get the clean, all smiles, put the polo shirt on, and smile for the camera kind of guy. But this is an emotional sport, and I think that that's something that you have to be ready for if you're going to cut anybody a check in this place. Well, you don't want to take the emotion out of it. You want exactly. to leave it in there because you know if, if one thing that I that I criticize the sport. For, over the last few years, is becoming too homogenized. You know, it's too it's, it's packaged, and like you said earlier, it's entertainment. And basically, uh, we forget there's a competition aspect to it, and, and, and these are competitive, highly competitive people that strap themselves in these race cars, and you can't turn that emotion on and off. It's the same way just like you alluded to in football. You know, you, you, can't, you can't do that either. You have to there's a cooling off period after a game that you have to that you have to go through, and yeah, let's let's let let's leave the emotion in it. We talked about you know we you know racing. We like the unpredictability of it between the between the green and checkered flag. We you know we want to leave that leave that alone. We also want to leave the leave the emotion in the sport and let it come come out and come through. Yeah, I mean we we talked a little bit about earlier uh, about. Uh, ratings and, and attendance and, and the fact that motorsports to draw the level of interest is down as a whole. Well, I want to fast forward to something here because because I've heard this um, 
claimed, well, what if, what if the worst had happened? What if he would have seriously hurt somebody or even killed somebody? Well, I heard that a guy walked across the Grand Canyon on, on a wire, and it was the most watched event uh, at the time in television. You really think they watched to see if he was going to succeed, or do you think that everybody watched in suspense to see if somebody was about to get seriously hurt? The fact of the matter is, is that the element of interest, whether we like it or whether we don't, this is racing. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais said a long time ago, you know, this is racing. You, you can't come into this, this is paraphrasing, thinking that it's safe. You're not going to make it 100% safe, and it's not supposed to be. Um, so, you know, when you look at this, maybe it's a ratings draw, and that's why Brian France is backing off, because guess what? Going to Phoenix, where fireworks have happened with Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon in the past, um, now we have to see if that's going to translate over to the Joey Logano Kyle Bush thing. And you know what's really cool about this? There's a lot of fans out there that don't like either person. So to see these two, it's like two negatives making a positive for the right. sport. Um, <laughs> you know, so when you really look at this, it's a draw in its own right because we're waiting to see how this one's going to play out. So if it's a ratings thing, so be it. But, um, you know, I got no problem with it. Uh, nobody did get seriously hurt. I trust the powers that be to make sure that that doesn't happen. And oddly enough, in NASCAR, we've often seen villains become heroes overnight. You know, They're because of because of things like this. When you look back, look back over the look back over the years in this sport that I've seen. So yeah, you know, it, it, it's going to be fun to watch uh, in the next few weeks to see what happens. We're going. Don't forget, we're going to Martinsville uh, in a, in about three weeks too, where you know it's a little bit different style of racing. We might see see. Uh, I don't think we'll see some out and out retribution, you know, from for me the one there. But you know, I don't think that that Joey out and out dumped Kyle, and and I, I based that on when I saw the back end of the car come around before he made contact. That told me he he was he he he, he was trying to regain control of the car, and yeah. and he didn't he didn't up and up and dump him. He would have made it look, you know. That car wouldn't, yeah. wiggle, wouldn't have wiggle like that if he deliberately deliberately hit him. And and I get Kyle's point of view. You know, you're looking at this from from okay, that's his teammate. He's slow. He Joey's going to use me as a pick. I got to get the hell out of here. I'm gonna, you know, yeah. He he went and hit Joey, and then he then he thought he got dumped because you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Well, he tried to pick me, and I, I prevailed. And then. And then I got ahead of you, and then you decided to take me out. Well, I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. I, I got no problem with it. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, come uh, come Phoenix next week, there's some really good runs for guys like Ryan Blaney and Truex. Kyle mm-hmm. Larson getting closer to that points lead. Finishes second. Chase Elliott third. Mm-hmm. A lot of these young kids are starting to really take superiority in NASCAR because every, yeah. each and every week they're the ones at the front. So we're, we're waiting for that next generation to come through. Well, it may already yeah. be here. Yeah, it is. It's coming. We can't do it. And I tell you, you know, uh, we've, we've talked a lot about IndyCar today uh, in the first half of the show, but we, we didn't talk about, you know, we talked about Bourdais. He, he's kind of long in the tooth. He's been around a while, you know. He's uh, 38, I believe. Yeah, Elio, a lot of the guys. So we're going to see a change in the guard in, in, in both major series coming up in the next several years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see where that transition is on the IndyCar side of things, just because there are fewer teams, and it's tough to say. Um, yeah, and there's one thing I did want to make a point on, and this is only because I continue to forget this every week. 
can we do something a little different with the playoff system? Uh, I mean, we're supposed to, we went from 43 cars down to 40 and now we're lucky if we get 39 at the track, we can't even fill that 40 slot anymore, but the positions that we're going to fill in the playoffs is still 16. I feel like that shouldn't be half the field. We should make that a little bit more exclusive to, you know, maybe a field of 10 and each week over the last 10 weeks, you knock one out. Um, I'd be okay with something like that. Maybe you could still make that to where four people get in on the last race, something. But you're essentially qualifying half the field for the chase because half yeah. that field has an alliance with somebody or is with a big team. And I just I don't yeah, like I seeing think, that. Yeah, I think that could be tweaked. You know, because when we first started out, it was 12, and then it went it grew to 16. And I think we need to retract it back down to maybe 12 again. You know, yeah. just reduce it by four. That. And, and like I said, you know, and you know NASCAR is open to it. They could change it next year again. So I mean, you know, nothing, not nothing is set in stone there. But you know, talking about this, oh, you, you they, it they could change it midstream, like they did. Uh, oh yeah, when I they doubt, added, I added doubt, Gordon to it that one year. Yeah, I, yeah, I doubt they'll do that this year though. But you know, one thing about what what's going to be interesting throughout the uh, throughout the year with this segment uh, racing that we have and awarding points. I was looking back through the points uh, today, and uh, Harvick was was uh, leading the points. I think going into um, going into Vegas, and he failed eighth because he only received one point at uh, at at Vegas because he finished thirty uh, eighth. And so he's dropped back there. But I think we're going to see a lot of with this segment racing this year. We're going to see a lot of movement. You know within the points, particularly within that top 15 or so. I think you're going to see guys make significant drops one week, and then, and then and in a few weeks' time, they're going to be right back up in there, depending on how, how it goes. So it's going to be ebb and flow. And I think that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to this year, to see how – I want to see some movement in the points, you know, up and down throughout the year, because I think it's going to force guys to, 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 really, to really do things to, to gain ground. At, at times when they when they have a bad race and lose it and you're not going to see this this gradual you know climb back up the points you can see a dramatic gain you know uh week after week sometimes so we'll just have to see how that goes yeah well, i'll be interested to get the plays out now we're um we're we're actually right up against our time limit so uh, i guess we're going into a green white checker going in overtime so um I, I got one more topic I want to talk about before we do our picks. And, Joey, I want to throw this to you because you were at the Texas Motor Speedway yesterday when they unveiled uh, the new repave and the new configuration. Uh, you were there for that unveiling. So I want you to share some of your thoughts from that. Uh, how do you think that's going to play out for NASCAR? How do you think it's going to play out for IndyCar? And then we'll go ahead we'll make our picks, and then we'll have to say goodnight. I mean, they say everything's bigger in Texas, and Eddie Gossage certainly doesn't doesn't do anything but but top notch whenever he does something, and that's that's nothing different uh, to what I saw yesterday. Uh, you're looking at, I mean, they started this in January, uh, new irrigation system, uh, drainage system implemented underneath the track after they ripped everything up. Uh, you're looking at four rows, uh, four trenches underneath the front straightaway and the and the back straightaway. And then you're looking at lateral lines every so often that are going to help feed that water with gravity because uh, each trench is, is above the other on the way down to the inside line. Um, and it filters, the, the lateral lines are going to filter into a French drainage system. And one thing that was interesting is 
drivers, uh, uh, Ed Carpenter from IndyCar, Chris Buescher from NASCAR, Steve O'Donnell, uh, a NASCAR executive, uh, and then obviously Jay Fry, uh, the president of, of operations and competition for IndyCar, uh, was on hand. And they said that they showed up to the track. And um, the track was a little damp from a morning shower, which is funny because every time there was a race car last year on track, it seemed to rain. Um, that's no joke. It did. Every single weekend, there was a NASCAR race. Yeah, absolutely uh, right. Yep. Um, but, <laughs> Except for August. Um, well, that was a rain delay. But um, that's a different story, Josh. Um, but when you they were out there, no assistance from jet dryers, no, no air titans, no anything. And they were out there in a pace car, and they said within 20, 30 minutes, the track dried up uh, with no assistance. And, and it was really damp. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously, the new pavement's jet black. But some of the cool things that they're implementing before NASCAR gets there or IndyCar gets there is they, they shampooed the track to help get the oils and, the, and, and other elements up. Um, and they're putting a tire monster out there. It's a, a deal that... Uh, Eddie Gossage and Johnny Rutherford came up back in 2001 where it's a truck with a trailer of roughly 12 tires stacked onto it, and they go run lap after lap after lap to kind of help age the track a little bit, put a little extra grip so we don't run into any bad shows. And sure enough, uh, it, it worked then. They're, they're starting it, I believe today is whenever they officially started it. But um, what the changes are to the track itself, you're not looking at 24 degrees of banking through turns one and two. That's been lowered to 20. The racing groove and turns one and two isn't 60 feet anymore. It's now 80. That narrows up the apron. A lot of drivers are actually really, really liking that. Um, so, you know, you look at this, and it's a 60, uh, it's a 20-foot increase. The, the back straight, the, the back turns three and four are the same. Um, so it creates a new element. And it is driving around with Ed Carpenter yesterday. That that turn one just dramatically drops in, and it is insane the difference between the old uh, configuration and the new. So it's a little flatter. Uh, Ed compared it to Kentucky a little bit. Uh, he likes that. He won his first race there. He likes Texas, which is the back half. And, uh, you know, that he won there a couple years he back. He won too. there so, too, yeah. Yeah, so when you really get a chance to look at this, though, something Ed said is this is this is unique to Texas. And, you know, we, we've for a long time, and I, I can speak to myself on this, Cookie cutters. That's what we label mile and a half because you know what? We're seeing the same show at every place Vegas, Atlanta, Chicago land, etc. You name it, we've seen it. I like the individuality that a track is going to take over. And I think that we're going to see more tracks. And Eddie Gossage credited SMI uh, president Marcus Smith on this and um, just talked a little bit about how that was his idea to, to change this up. So, um, I hope we see more mile and a half do something to create their own identity, to do something separate. But this is going to slow down NASCAR stock cars dramatically. Now, on the IndyCar side, <laughs> every driver I've talked to, Graham Hinch, Eddie, or I'm sorry, Ed Carpenter, um, not Eddie Osage, um, Ed Carpenter's talked about how when the sun goes down, the increased grip is going to come up out of that track, and you're going to see that field tighten up. Note that we just had the closest finish in the track's history at a .008. Graham over uh, James Hinchcliffe. That was just last August uh, in the rain-delayed race, which is part of the reason that led to this change is how much rain and 20-minute rain would knock the track out for six hours. We changed that. That ain't a problem now. We used to have big-time finishes in IndyCar. On the NASCAR side, we might see a snoozer just until we get more grip into this track. Um, that way they can run a little bit of that top groove. Uh, in IndyCar, 
I think we're in for a hell of a show. This field's going to stack, be stacked on top of each other. We're going to have some close finishes, some tight finishes. This used to be the place where every single finish came down to half a car length or less. Um, you know, back in the, the um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, Scott Goodyear days and, and, and Sam Hornish days and guys like that. So um, Billy Boat also. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I'm excited for it personally. Um, I I, I thought the front uh, open turns one and two reminded me of Fontana more than anything else. But hearing hearing some of the drivers talk about how it resembles Kentucky, um, Jay Fry had mentioned how it kind of resembles Charlotte with the differences to a degree, uh, just the dramatic differences between the two turns. This is going to be a really well, good well, show. Joey, keep here. in mind, Kentucky did the same thing with the drainage thing um, this past year. They they put all that same drainage stuff there, and it worked tremendously uh, on uh, – yep. Uh, when when we had some rain in the qualifying, so uh, and, and that's where you need to go. These this this you know waiting for the weepers and the weepers keep coming back and the, the jet dryers. You know the trick is get that get that decent drainage system under the track. They did that in Kentucky. It worked well. Eddie Gossage uh, did it as well. Um, you know uh, we we probably could have had that in, that August IndyCar race back closer to its original date if we could have uh, dried the track in time. But, uh, I mean, this is the way to well, go. So, I mean, and, you know, hats, and, hats you off know, to Eddie, hats off to all those guys. I mean, Eddie okay. had mentioned, too, is that one thing that you can't stop, though, is the jet dryers, or not the jet dryers, the air titans themselves. I mean, you can kind of turn a nozzle and change up how they do because they essentially, he said, used it like a squeegee um, for the race, NASCAR race that was here in November when that 20-minute rain knocked it out. There was so much pressure from the from the air titans for so long. You would look at you want to talk about artificially aging a track. It was creating so much pressure, uh, water and air pressure pushing through uh, heat more so than anything being pushed through those that ground where it just became so coarse. And you know this isn't a road you go 30 miles an hour on down your neighborhood. These need to be almost flawless. Um, I can tell you riding around with Ed. This place is really, really smooth, and um, hopefully the, the the Air Titans aren't going to course this place up more than it has to. I think every track at some point or another is going to run into similar issues that Texas already faced. It's just that Texas had the oldest surface on the on the whole circuit. Now Auto Club does, um, but they had the oldest one on the circuit, and now you're looking at a situation where, you know, it, it doesn't really rain in Auto Club much, but if they get hit with a storm, we could be seeing them change their tune uh, I like this. I think more tracks need to do it and get behind it. And, um, you know, you alluded to Kentucky and their drainage system. I think every track should have something in place. Uh, there's no excuses now when we go to repave a track. Well, we can't seriously look at that. I know it's a lot more money um, to do things a little different. But, um, you know, that's why SMI and ISC are the two big dogs doing this thing on the NASCAR side. You know, Texas has had trouble since day one. Uh, I was at the first event that was ever held there, and that was a nightmare weekend with all the rain. They had that first first show and all the issues that that came about, and the, and of course it kind of it, it's reared its head a time or two during the all during the, the the time Texas has been in operation, and they did some things in in certain parts of the racetrack to kind of help drainage over the years. But this is the first time they've actually come in and done a massive overhaul to to kind of fix some of the issues they had and hats off to them but to be clear uh you're saying that uh turns three and four remain 24 degrees banking right yeah yeah it's still 60 feet wide still uh still 24 degrees banked unchanged 
I'll have to go along with you on that. That that's pretty unique. Then that that you've got something that that's going to have two different turns because uh, uh, Darlington is my favorite racetrack, and and of course, obviously, we all know Darlington's egg-shaped track in both uh, both ends of the racetrack are dramatically different in 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 radius and and in banking. So and that makes that track uh, to me unique, and we see some good racing there because. Drivers and teams have to compromise to set the cars up for those tracks. And I tell you, honestly, sometimes slowing the cars down is not a bad thing. It'll help competition in in some instances. And uh, yeah, I hope we'll see some. You know, like I said, we may it may take a year uh, to, to kind of cure that track and break it in for the NASCAR boys. But I hope uh, you know they've made a step in the right direction. And in the future, we'll see some good racing from the stock cars there. Yeah, we'll just have to see how all that plays out with Texas. But, uh, you know, hats off to Eddie and all that team. for um, They've always, you know, put their best foot forward when it comes to providing a great racing facility, um, not only for the drivers, but also for, for the fan experience, too. Now, Joey, Joey, I know that's right in your backyard, Texas Speedway, and uh, uh, and uh, I just can't wait to hear your reports from uh, once the major series get there. But, but guys, we are just about out of time. But I want to go around the water cooler really quick here. Get everybody's picks for Phoenix. Are we in Phoenix next NASCAR? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Josh Farmer, you get the first pick. Ah, I get the first pick this week. Well, yeah, so you can see Harvick because Harvick always was the Phoenix, right? Uh, yep. I'm, I'm going to take Kevin Harvick. He's he's won that he's won there enough times. He's he's the odds-on favorite on the Vegas odds. So I'm I'm going to put down twenty bucks. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> Joey, you're next. I'm actually going to probably go Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, I mean, he's always really strong at Phoenix. Alex Bowman was really stout there, uh, subbing for him last year. Uh, you know, it, it, the only other guy that I could think of on the table that'd be worth picking right now would be Truex or, or Kenseth. So, but if I want to stay in the Chevy camp, I, I think Junior brings it home this weekend. All right, Gray. Who, who do you like? Well, I tell you what, good, good side picks. Harvick and, and and Junior, that was they they were the two that I would obviously jump on either one of those. So I'm gonna have to go outside the box this time because those two are taken. Uh, I'm I'm just looking back at it's how some of the cars have run out there in, in the last uh, last few times out there. I guess uh, you know I, I'm gonna say the Fords right now are running really really strong. I'm gonna stay in the Ford camp and I'm gonna go with uh, Logano. You think he finishes it? You don't think Kyle takes him out? No, nah, I don't think he takes him out. <laughs> no, I, I think Kyle wastes the Martinsville, so. And, and Gray, Gray, I'm going to stick with you in the Ford camp because the Fords have been hot this year, and, and I, I'm going to I'm go with Keselowski. Um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> so, But anyway, we are we are up against the clock. We are out of time. Our green-white checker has been a green-white checker, checker, checker. So um, I want to thank you, Gray. I want to thank you, Joey. I want to thank you, Josh. Um, for coming on the show. Great show tonight. I want to thank all the listeners. I want to remind you that you are listening to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, Drafting the Circus. Guys, we'll talk to you in a week. Good night. Hoobazoo.com 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 